0: Part 30. two of Almost 30. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: this is your recap of some of, I mean, all conversations are a favorite, to be honest with you, but um, some that stuck out to us that we wanted to highlight for you.
0: Mm-hmm. Just some nuggets. So, this is a really good, you know, if you are new to Almost 30, this is actually a good, good way to get in. Um, usually we do long form interviews, but this week we are doing something special and we have snippets golden nuggets of information from some amazing guests that we've had on across 2018.
1: Yeah, and we know all of you might be traveling or home with family and friends, hop in the secret Facebook group, let us know what you're doing and how you are. We like to kind of keep keep up with everyone over the holidays. Um, And we love that you are listening to us while you're away.
0: Mm -hmm. And these episodes have been so much fun for us to do. Mm -hmm. So thanks everyone um, that is included. Thank you to our guests throughout the year. Um, Every conversation we remember and resonates with our community. So
1: let's hop into it. Let's do it. So our first guest, Stuart Pierce is a world renowned voice coach and author. He uh, truly helped us to find our true tone.
2: There was a great transition when I moved from the innocence of childhood through adolescence and discovering sex.
0: Mm. Wow. Wow.
2: That was something. So in discovering sex, that was another way of coming fully back into my body. Wow. Mm. And, And the hormonal maturities that took place as I grew. And also it was very much to do with the fact that I saw... That I was, I was found to be attractive, and earlier on, I had always been disciplined, criticised, mm. um, disapproved of, et cetera, et cetera. So when I found that in my own right, that people were drawn to me through a charismatic or through an, uh, you know, through an attraction energy, that that I thought, "Way, this is fun. I like this." Mm. And, you know, the at the very early age of 15, I fell in love with a, a much older person and we had a three-year relationship. So that was actually a journey of immense maturity. You know, I grew up very, very fast. I was still emotionally immature as far as the inner plane, but as far as the outer plane was concerned, I developed a consciousness that it was able to maneuver myself through the world in a much more effective way. So I suppose I was socially precocious, you know.
1: Mm. What about the physicality of kind of exploring your sexual being and being in your body? How does that relate to the development of your voice and the resonance of it? Um, I think a lot of, you know, we talked to a lot of women. We've been having a conversation recently about being on voice and in your power and how that sounds differently. So I'd love to kind of explore, you know, between the physical and the resonant voice.
2: Hmm. Well, you know, for me, um, the arousal of the association with my sexual being, my sensual being, and my sensory being all came at once. But for me, I've always felt that Love, sexuality, and the way that I am sensually is a sacred act. I've always felt completely at one with the divine. And I remember experiencing, you know, first orgasm that wasn't self-stimulated. It was all about making love. And literally, I was at one with the divine. Which is interesting as a concept, because it's a very ancient concept that our people's um i don't know what happens in the in the far east or indeed in in the african cultures but in the caucasian european medieval cultures they had a great belief in something they called le the, the petit mort the little death which was coming which was orgasm and they 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 believed in medievalism I and mean, Shakespeare writes about this that there are three points in our lives where we're completely at one with the divine birth orgasm and death and you hear you know juliet's Juliet in Romeo and Juliet speaks this. And she's apparently 14 when she falls in love with Romeo and has this relationship. So for me, the appreciation of spirit has always been wrapped within the sacred harmony of the way that I feel things. Because I I know that the whole of my body is rather like a lightning rod. It feels so much. Spirit, to me, is an embodied creation. Now, where voice fits in is that I I believe that what I've learned over the years uh, is that sound is at the very core of creation and that we have within our bodies this ability to make sound. And so if we have this ability to make sound in relation to sound is at the core of creation, then why not go to the very core of our own creative process? And really, even if it takes time to dig deep and to remove masks or skins or ways of being that have always been to do with protecting ourselves from violent um, energies on the outside of us or protecting ourselves in inhibition from really expressing ourselves that the best way to actually move into the firmament of what we're really all about you know the inner cosmology of what we're all about and using the whole of our bodies as an expression of our spirit is to go right into the way that our voices can, can make sound. Um, and so that was always a very natural path for me. What I then began to do as a voice coach is to define it in a very specific way, which is also quite an ancient concept. I mean, we know that this was this was deliberated in, in Rome and in Greece, That in, in the ancient Greek civilization, that we each have a note. And so what I do as a voice coach is to tune people into their note. Now, the philosophy that I'm really talking about began before the noise, before the machines. And today, I feel that our our, our notes sounding or the song of our souls sounding, because I feel that when we find our note, we find the song of our soul. And if we can begin to express this, it produces a level of harmony within our beings where we feel immensely powerful. And that's really what it is to become an empowered and integrated human being, a spiritual being having a human experience. So what I do is I tune people into their note, and when we find that note, we find that there are lines of energy that we can literally float on in our sound making, which allows us to connect with extraordinary lines of energy, song lines, if you like, within the cultures of our people and also those that exist within the planet. Because our song lines connect with the vital ma- electromagnetic lines of our planet is this all making sense
1: yes I'm I'm interested like when you work with people one-on-one do you have to go back to that moment or that time where this soul's note became kind of out of tune like when they were born was it was it pure w- what does that look like and how do you you know, reprogram it in a way.
2: The actual way in is quite simple as we experienced when we were working together on the on the you know the retreat on the land.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: <laughs> doing something about it is a little bit more complex but actually tuning into it. You know doing something about it is a little bit more complex because we have our own so we have our own habits, we have our own masks and a lot of them are unconscious. And so what I do is I try to very lovingly and very compassionately allow someone to understand what their masks are, what their inhibitions mm-hmm. are, what is happening unconsciously. But what's interesting, you see, is that we're all educated, socialized and conditioned by the doing impulse. And as a result of this, what happens is that most of us live in our heads. And of course, this sound, as we know, is very familiar in the United States America and it gets even more nasal, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I mean, this tends to be more of a, like the New York City sound where you get a lot of nasality coming in. But of course, all of the sound is just coming from this upper region of my body. And then what I'm going to do is change and go back to my note. And then suddenly I, I produce a very, very different quality of sound. So, in terms of the differential between somebody who lives in their head and somebody who lives in their body, the shift can actually be quite easy particularly if life in the head has created stress challenging relationships whether that's professional or personal by getting somebody to really be in their body all of that begins to change just like that
1: and next we have ceo of beekeepers naturals queen of the bees carly stein
0: The amount of bees is
4: reducing. Do you think that's like deforestation and then pesticides? So it's a lot of things. And then this is the other thing that makes it really hard to track is that more beekeepers have entered the market. Like there's more backyard beekeepers in Brooklyn. So the numbers kind of get skewed. Mm -hmm. So when pesticide companies are fighting back, it becomes really challenging. Yeah. So that's rough. But But yeah, I mean, I still am a big advocate for like backyard beekeeping. Anyone who wants to get into it, we need more people taking care of the bees. And then some other factors in bee decline right now it's climate change. We have aggressive weather. And sometimes what will happen is bees in cold areas, when they hibernate, they'll come out, they think it's, you know, it gets warm and they'll come out, take their cleansing flight and they think it's all good. Mm. And then they'll freeze because it will get cold again the next day. So weather patterns are screwing with the bees. Uh, Agricultural practices have totally changed. Like, we're all about monocropping now, which makes it really hard. By the way, monocropping has completely changed everything. I sometimes hear people talking about needing bee products from a 10-mile radius, like local bee products. In the olden days when farms and apiaries were like all kinds of flowers and fruit and vegetables, then yeah, 10-mile radius makes sense because you're exposing yourself to what's local. But current practices... A 10 mile radius is probably like some gross agro monocrop farm. So Mm. not such a good thing. It's the opposite of getting the variants that you want. So something to consider. What's monocropping? So monocropping, it's literally just planting all of one type of crop. So Uh, dedicated blueberry farm. Tons of soybean. Exactly. And then that's bad because they're more susceptible to pests. So they need more pesticides. And the bees don't have a varied diet, which is not great. Because like even if all we were eating was kale if that's all we're eating not so good and they have a bloom period and then after the bloom period it's like a food desert for the bees so there's a time of year where they have tons of food and then they're just kind of like starving how long do they live so the queen bee can live three to five years wow yeah worker bees will live i know royal jelly um worker bees will live like six to eight weeks during foraging season and then Mm -hmm. how long do the drones live like not that long. So <laughs> they fuck and they die. Yeah, yeah. So
0: there's
4: worker bees, drones, bouncers. So worker like bouncer workers bees would are, be a job uh, within worker. So okay. it's really just workers, drones, and the queen. And nurse is within the workers. Within the workers. What's mm-hmm. so you mentioned royal jelly? Yeah, I've heard that. I don't think I've used it or
1: eaten it or what do you do with it?
4: So royal jelly, it's the food of the queen. Mm-hmm. So this is how I like to break down bee products. Propolis is the medicine of the hive. It's the immune booster. Pollen is the bee's protein source. It's vitamins, protein, all that good stuff. Honey is their daily carbs and energy. And then royal jelly is their superfood. Oh. So royal jelly, it's it's like literally all the queen eats. And all baby bees are fed royal jelly for the first three days of development. And then after that, they're transitioned off onto pollen and honey. And only the one who's going to be queen keeps eating the royal jelly. And biologically, the queen looks very different. So- One, she's living three to five years, which is like a long time.
5: Mm -hmm.
4: Um, She can lay up to 1500 babies a day, which is a lot. And then worker bees don't reproduce at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then she's just larger. Like she looks different. Like she's she's much larger, more robust. So that's the royal jelly. And then for humans, we've been using it across cultures for a very long time. Like in traditional Chinese medicine, royal jelly has been used for hormonal balance. It's been used as an anti-aging tonic. And then with Western medicine, recently there's been a lot of studies looking at royal jelly's effects on the brain and that's what we look at. Mm. So like Arbilixir, we have royal jelly in there and royal jelly is actually really exciting because it's really high in acetylcholine, which is the neurotransmitter responsible for brain-body communication. So it helps Mm. to basically speed up your transmission system. And then the other thing about royal jelly that's really cool, it contains a fatty acid called 10-HDA. and 10-HGA basically promotes brain-derived nootropic factor and it acts as a catalyst for neurogenesis. So it helps your brain to like create new cells. Um, So really good for memory, Mm -hmm. for just memory focus, concentration and overall brain health and preventing neurodegenerative conditions. Wow. The the connection between your mind-body, what's that one called? So um, acetylcholine, that just helps with neurotransmitters who are basically responsible for like messaging. Wow. Huh. That's incredible. Yeah, it's also really amazing for like anti aging and fighting inflammation. Like I put it on my face all the time. You do really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, doesn't clog your pores. It's the best. Wow. I do. I like. I wash my face with honey.
0: No way. Mm-hmm. What about your hair?
4: Not
5: my hair. Yeah,
0: Does your it, hair get, is it gets amazing. in your hair though. Honey? Or are you just? You just keep your... Out of your... <laughs> <laughs> I just, careful. I literally, just literally. put my hair <laughs> Are you just careful? I like sometimes just tuck it in my shirt back there. <laughs> oh wow. my gosh. Wow.
1: That's incredible. So have you... So since being mm-hmm. in Italy and trying... Mm-hmm. What is it called? Propolis. Propolis. Propolis for the first time. So have you been pretty much like managing your... Like anything that comes up, you just take it right away. Like for others that might
4: have the same autoimmune condition. So I have like radically changed my immune system. Okay. Um, I rarely get sick. I use a shitload of bee products. I also uh-huh. like eat clean and, you know, I yeah. a lot of stuff like that. But Propolis has just really helped to change change the way my immune system functions. It's really interesting. I was at my mine and my co-founder, our good friends, got married in Mexico. And literally everyone got food poisoning but us. Hmm. And so he's like, it's, propolis, it's And it might be because propolis is antibacterial. So it's possible that we were like eating all the same food and we just combated the bacteria. Whoa. Yeah.
0: So the bees go out and then they pollinate and they eat stuff from the flowers. And then what they digest...
4: They add an enzyme and then propolis is created in the hive? Pretty much. So when the bees collect stuff, they have two stomachs. They have like their honey stomach, which is basically a nectar backpack, and then like their stomach stomach for them to eat. And so they'll store stuff in their honey stomach and then kind of regurgitate it. And then in the hive, they'll it will ferment. So that's where you get like a lot of the benefits as well. Wow. How the hell does their do their little bodies know to put it in one stomach no. and not the I know. Other? It's crazy. Do you want to hear my favorite bee fact? Yes. Yeah. I want I want them all. I want more bee facts. So one of the ways the bees communicate beyond scent is dance. And they'll do something called the waggle dance to like let their sisters know where the good food is. So like group of bees goes out one way and they see a really good source of flowers a really dope restaurant, so to speak. And then mm-hmm. the other group finds one another way and they'll come back and they're both doing the waggle. And then everyone's going to be like, okay, wait, which, where do I go for the food? And they'll have a dance off. And the winner of the dance off, that's where they'll go to oh pollinate. And like, I just think that's how we should <laughs> can live you, our lives. Can <laughs> you create what will be a viral video
1: mm-hmm. for your brand, <gasps> putting like dope ratchet music to and dancers. Like, get, get like planet Earth style, whatever? A bee's doing this dance. <laughs> I mean, just the facts alone, I'm like down getting that. You know, know what I mean? Okay. I love that. Do that. You
0: were a dancer. Yeah. Oh my God. This is yeah. your time.
1: Honestly, do you think you are a bee in a past life? It's possible. Wow. Oh yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> Little dancer. So, um so
0: I I wanted to ask you at the beginning when you're talking about um when you figured out your autoimmune condition mm-hmm.
4: what what happened that like helped you figure it out or was it over time it was over time mm-hmm. it was over, I basically I would just get my joints would swell up mm-hmm. um and then I was very reactive to antibiotics like break out in hives all over like I looked like Mystique and like not in a hot way it was not good um and like the hives wouldn't go away for months and so and I was reactive to all kinds of medicines. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my immune system was just really, really weak. Like I was just always, always sick. I had chronic tonsillitis, mm-hmm. chronic strep throat. And then it was like, I couldn't really get my tonsils taken out because everyone was nervous about putting me on antibiotics after. Um, so it was just difficult.
1: Wow, that's really challenging. Thinking about all the things that we might need antibiotics for throughout our life.
6: hmm
4: Yeah. And then it's also, it's kind of a blessing though, because now, well, first of all, we built this company really servicing the autoimmune protocol community because that's a group of people who have all kinds of things where they just randomly react and they don't have a lot of information around it. Um, And we gave them something that they don't react to and that works for them. So that was kind of, they kind of championed us. But now there's a huge issue with overprescription and there's a lot of people that just don't want to turn to antibiotics. But unfortunately, a lot of stuff in the natural world, it won't deliver the way they need it to. And so now that demographic has kind of become very interested in the world of hive superfoods and how they can heal different things in a more natural way without side effects.
0: And next up, we have the entrepreneur,
4: the businessman,
0: the author, and the founder of Bulletproof Nutrition, Dave Asprey. Within your journey, you, were, you went on this 10-day experience and then you kind of had the tools and then you were leveraging them in your life. What was the journey of your health? Was it parallel to this spiritual kind of physical body, physical embodiment journey that you were going on? Or what was that relationship?
7: When people become healthier, it's easier to be more spiritual. And when people work to become more spiritual, it's very difficult if they don't have their health. You can still do it, but it takes an enormous act of will. And unfortunately, willpower also comes from electrons in your body that are made from your your mitochondria. So if you're low on energy, you're just low on willpower. And then to become to, to develop a spiritual practice when you just don't have the energy to get up in the morning, it's, it's hard. That said, having a robust spiritual meditation practice will give you more energy, but it's it's not evenly matched. So in, in my own path. I did find that I said, I am going to lose this weight if it's the most, if it's the last thing I do. It's the most important thing. So I worked out six days a week, an hour and a half a day, half weights and half cardio. And I went on a low fat, low calorie diet. And I did this for 18 months straight. And at the end of this, I could max out every machine at the gym except for two. <laughs> And which I ones?
0: Weighed, <laughs> yeah. yeah. What were they?
7: Uh, there was some kind of a shoulder press thing I had a hard time with. I was two plates away from maxing it out. Oh, Damn. Uh, but, you know, I was I was strong, but I was still fat. I still weighed 300 pounds. I was a 46 inch waist and I'm about a 33 today. Wow. Um, so your weight didn't change? No, it didn't change. And I was so mad because I was at Carl's Jr. with my friends in college, <laughs> as you do. Mm-hmm. I, I was probably about 23, 24 at this time. And, and, I'm watching them eat Western bacon cheeseburgers, which are delicious and not very good for you. And I'm eating a salad with no dressing. And I just thought to myself, I could bench press everyone at this table while they eat their cheeseburgers. And they're all thin and I'm fat. And it's just not fair. But then this is where bad programming comes to play. It's because I failed. It's because I'm not trying hard enough. It's because I'm eating too many pieces of lettuce. Right? And... What happened is I just had bad advice. The idea that you're going to exercise your way to thin is wrong. And the idea that a low-calorie a low diet, especially a low-fat, low-calorie diet is going to make you lose weight, it was wrong. So what I was doing is I was putting all my effort into doing things that were sabotaging me and then feeling like a failure for doing that. And by the way, this is a great recipe for making a lot of money. Here's a diet soda. It'll make you lose weight. <laughs> it doesn't make you lose weight, which means you need to drink even more of them to try and lose more weight. Even though it actually is, I do obesity. So I would tell you, please don't anyone make money that way. But there are big companies doing that right now, and we've got to understand now. And, and I, I feel like like younger people today are way wiser than I was. Partly because you have the ability to listen to the Almost 30 podcast. (laughs) That's true.
0: That's true, Dave. (laughs) That's going to be a soundbite for... I I mean,
7: (laughs) but but if you think about it...
0: That's true.
7: (laughs) I didn't have any of that. I would get a magazine when I was 20. I'm I'm only 45. I'm not particularly old, but the world had changed so much. So you have the ability to listen to people who actually have success. And what I was getting was spoon-fed from the media and a little bit from the internet, mostly in the form of text. And thank God for that, because without the internet, I would still weigh 300 pounds. Frankly, I'd probably be dead. Uh, and I, I don't mean to say that dramatically, but I had so many things wrong with me biologically that I would have been in a in a very bad place. And right now, you, you have this endless opportunity to absorb information. So the speed of change is uh, it's inspiring and amazing. And I just I wish I'd had all this uh, when I was twenty because it's almost effortless to learn something and then to try something. Uh, whereas you go back half a generation and it was very hard to learn it and then if you wanted to do it you didn't have amazon uh, you would actually have to drive somewhere and hope they had it and maybe you could call someone and just the friction it took to have the tools to be a better human being was very hard and that was almost frictionless
0: wow and so you were at, so, you, so you were there they were eating the burgers you were eating you know low fat low calorie and what were you just like fuck this and then you went and did yeah. research or what was like the well, turning point
7: I went to a little uh, a little yogurt coffee shop in Modesto, California, uh, where I was working. And I saw a weightlifting magazine. And in the early 90s, you pretty much didn't look at weightlifting magazines in a farming community because really, like, <laughs> who wants to look at a bunch of guys in bikinis?
0: <laughs> Everyone's like, we're running, about that, Dave. Look at uh, some yeah. guys in overalls.
7: Yeah. Uh, I, I, we had four H in my school, right? <laughs> you know, what what kind of what kind of farm are you gonna run when you grow up? Damn. Yeah. And so I saw this thing and said, How to get abs. And I'm like, I have flabs and I've been working on this for eighteen months and I, I'm gonna just read this. Mm-hmm. So I, I kinda picked it up and I looked and there was an article about how carbs can make it fat. So I cut carbs and gluten actually out of my diet without meaning to cut gluten out. And I lost fifty pounds in three months. Wow. And well, that was transformative. But more importantly, my parents said, hey, Dave, you're actually nicer.
2: Uh-huh.
7: Like we like you more now. And I realized, hey, I am less angry. This is weird. Uh-huh. So I got this idea that, wait a minute, what I eat actually affects how I feel. Because a lot of people have been taught that really how you feel has nothing to do with what you eat. But what you eat is the biggest predictor of how you're going to feel compared to anything else you do. So I started this path of becoming aware. Hey, how am I feeling right now? What's my energy level? And I'd write it down on the margins of my notebooks. And then I'd say, what did I do beforehand? And I started correlating how I felt with what I did and realized, hey, I'm in total charge of how I feel and how I look. But sometimes what I did two days ago affects how I feel today. Mm -hmm. And that became this interest level. And then I started in my mid-20s meeting with people three, four times my age at an anti-aging group. I started interviewing people who were making old people young again. And then I would use those techniques not to make myself younger, but to make myself more powerful and stronger and more energetic. And that formed the basis of Bulletproof. Because man, you take the stuff that old people do to feel halfway decent and you do those in your mid-20s, it's like rocket fuel.
1: And now one of our favorite people to follow on Instagram, founder and chief creative officer of Bando, Jen Gotch.
0: You know, it's just so funny like to interview people like you because it's like, you look back and it's like, I I just think about the past and it's, it's like all fun and games. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like, like, you're like, I was a food stylist. I was like, bacon, turkeys, like whatever. But it's like funny because now look at you. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, during that time, did you feel like, were you like, I don't know what I'm meant to do? Yeah. All, all the time.
8: I, I mean, I will say styling was the first time that I felt like this is, this could be a career, Mm. you know? And I think, and, and I was 29. make a lot of money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You can make a lot of money. It's really rewarding, and and you're on different jobs all the time. You know, mm-hmm. it's really exciting and also super stressful. But but I was 29 when I started assisting, so like my all of my 20s were me. It, loss doesn't mm-hmm. even begin to you know define what was going on because I was also like struggling with mental health issues mm-hmm. and. Feeling the pressure of like, I have to grow up, but I just didn't have any of the tools to do that. Mm. So it took a long time. And it was, I think I was like 31 or 32 before I was like actually financially independent from from my parents and like
0: working. Mm -hmm. And so... I'm a late bloomer. It's the story yeah. of LA. Yeah. Yeah, to be yeah, 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 yeah. That's why, you know, we have almost 30 is because that period in time mm-hmm. in your 20s is so challenging. Yeah. You know, and you had mental health issues mixed in and a lot of women have that. A lot of people have that. And that's just like icing on the cake. And at that time, it's hard to um, admit it or diagnose yourself or, yeah. or figure it out. And so you're figuring out your career during that time too, where you want to live your passion, you know, there's just a lot happening. So yeah, yeah, we completely feel you. Yeah. And it's like, I talk
8: a lot about just like emotional intelligence and becoming self-aware. And I think like, that's the, I don't know what what curriculums are like now, but like Mm. that wasn't on, you know, like any kind of self-discovery really uh, other than like base level stuff just wasn't a thing. So it's Mm. really hard to deal with that when you don't, even though you can't articulate it in your own mind, much less explain it to someone outside of your brain. So I feel like we're, you know, just as a society moving, obviously people are much more self-aware. And at a younger age, even when I talked to my parents about it, they're like, we had no idea what any of the words for any of that. So they, you know, the wow. one people that you would hope could guide you, they're amazing parents, but they were just like, yeah, I mean, there weren't like,
1: Oh, well, was She's the in internet? a
8: phase. They yeah. call it like phases, or yeah, it's not a, a clinical. So, what mm-hmm. were you
1: experiencing in your twenties? I
8: mean, 24? horrible, horrible depression. I mean, I have ADD. Mm-hmm. It, I ended up being bi- diagnosed as bipolar, but at the time, it was it, I just identified as depression. Like the mania part, I didn't know what Mm -hmm. that was but that was like the only reprieve so I was like I'm definitely not gonna complain about that (laughs) Um, and -hmm. anxiety you know just all the normal Mm -hmm. stuff like Mm -hmm. coupled with like just like the an internal dialogue that's just evil Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. you know and then yeah yeah, like not feeling like how it's also like not cool to have your parents be paying for stuff when you're like supposed to be a grown up it's so common Mm -hmm. how did you like navigate
1: that like I think, I think like you can kind of come at it from different ways, yeah. whether it's like working to like break free of it or it's allowing it to be a support as you like, yeah, kind of cultivate oh, I, what you want I to do. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
8: I allowed it. I think it. there's no
1: shame in, Mm-mm,
8: yeah. I, I didn't, I mean, I was, I was kind of spoiled. I wouldn't say spoiled rotten, but like my parents, <laughs> they that. just wanted me to have, you know, they yeah. just like, no. why not? And, and so I, I think on some level, I felt like I deserved to be supported, which is, you know, I'm not proud of that, but I, but they also paid for my therapy for years and years and years. So like, Mm. oh, I started going to therapy. I think I was 24 and went on and off for like 20 years. It's amazing. (laughs) Um, But so, so, so I was okay with it. You know, the only time it got hard is if I was fighting with my mom and then she would be like, well, we're taking the money, Ugh. you know. <laughs> it's the worst. There's a lot of a lot of push and yeah. pull with that. Our relationship got incrementally better when I didn't need money anymore. Yeah,
1: it's like a it's it is a control thing. Yeah, even though yeah. they're giving it willingly and they love totally. and, and it's a, you know part of like what they feel they should do for their children. It, yeah, it is a control thing. Yeah, I yeah, can't that's great. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's why I couldn't even deal. I'm such a fucker. I like could not deal with my mom having that control. Oh yeah. First fight, I'd be out. Yeah, I'd be like, I'm on the streets. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's amazing. Amazing. I will be on the street, <laughs> suck it, suck it, suck mom. It, literally, <laughs> just like having this conversation with you. That's amazing. Did yeah. you? So you went to your first therapist at 24. Yeah, was that hard for you? Because I feel like now therapy is becoming the norm. And yeah, it's becoming a conversation that's more open and um. For sure. But I don't feel like five, 10 years ago it was or no. how, you know? Yeah, this was 20 years ago. So were ago. you like- wow. 22 years did, ago. How did you feel about that? And were you like, what gave you the courage? I, um
8: well, first I'll say my mom was always into like self-help mm. and she was taking us to family therapy. You know, like cool. I had been to therapy before, but I never liked it. I had a really bad, like a negative association because I felt like I was always being dragged. And when I was out here, it was like my first serious boyfriend out here. Was like, I think (laughs) when I think about it now, I'm like, "Mm, that was the beginning of the end. (laughs) I think you need therapy. (laughs) In my mind, I was like, oh, he cares about me so much. And he was like, I'm going to get rid of of this one. Literally. I think he wanted to like, Securely get me into therapy totally. so he could just sort of like mm-hmm. drift into the mm-hmm. darkness, um, which he he's did, like creeping backwards. Yeah, yeah. He's like, no, no, stay there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so I went willingly, um, and like the second I I met with one therapist, and I was like, just not, mm. just not driving. And and then the second one that I went to, like, ended up being amazing and changing my life. Really, wow. Yeah. How so? She just, she was like a, just a real guiding force and and sort of like part life coach, part nutritionist. I mean, she just taught me like okay. so much about mind-body stuff and, and just gave me homework each week. And so like, in addition to working through like self-confidence issues or whatever I was taking with me from my childhood, she was like really preparing me to be an adult and like mm. showed me how to like write a let. I don't know what those letters are called co- because people don't write them anymore. But before when you needed a job, you like actually... A cover actually letter fucking or something? Ma- yeah. Cover letter, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And she would like help me write scripts for if I needed to call and follow up. Like literally, mm-hmm. I didn't know how to... I had no skills. Mm-hmm. Like t- just how to operate. So she really did. It was like she was doing a lot of different things at once. Wow. Um, And she was like a no bullshit... I don't know if I can say that. Yeah, you can. Okay. Yes, you can. <laughs> my, my podcast is marked explicit. I was like, yeah, Ours is yeah. cool. Yeah.
0: You're like, do you guys see that E? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my don't listen with your parents my around. My friend pointed it out
8: to me. I was like, that is cool. cool. Yeah. It's the so yeah, you're explicit. like, it's like a rap artist. Yeah, you're like, it's, too too
1: well, it's too hard not to be when you're talking about the things you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Well, just
8: to like, yeah. it's, it's just normally, who I but am. I, <laughs> but I meant to, yeah. But anyway, so she was a no bullshit kind of. Yeah you know, tell it like it is not very coddly. I mean, she was definitely like sympathetic to things, but she was like, let's, let's fix this. And she really just helped me diagnose everything that she just across the board, everything you would want help with. She helped. What was she talking about with nutrition? Any changes that you made that you, you know, I, I think I tried so many things and she was really very ahead of like the gluten stuff and like, um, like candida and mercury poisoning, like stuff that uh, some of it I think is a little bit more common knowledge now, but she was always just like researching stuff. So there's like a whole like brain gut thing mm-hmm. and just how food could actually affect your mood or wow. and and just like your diet and your blood sugar, just stuff you don't. I mean, I think like the only thing I knew about food is like what foods make you fat and what Same. foods don't. <laughs> yeah. So mm-hmm. and like. That doesn't t- you, you and know. even that like some of it is kind of a myth with like low fat. Oh, I mean, lotion, I I definitely know. did like a no fat diet that probably almost killed me because it would have been all <laughs> sugar and chemicals, mm-hmm. and I felt like shit. And like I gluten. was skinny. But yeah, yeah. So she she really did like just explain how your body works and like yeah. what how what you're doing with it can it, it affect it. So it was great. I. It was a lot of bang for the buck, even though it was somebody else's bucks. <laughs> <laughs> How many years that. did you see her? So many years. I mean, on and off for 20 years. Wow. But I I would say I went five years like very regularly. Wow.
0: What would you tell our girls who are listening that are looking for a therapist? Like what to look for?
8: You know, it's funny because I've been putting off doing an episode about that because I'm like, Ooh, I don't even know. No no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, this isn't exclusive. Um, <laughs> I have an episode coming out, like talking about how to feel better right away because it, mm. because I think that the thing with therapy is it's like you don't walk in and that it's not like a normal doctor's appointment where they like give you something and then you don't have to come back. It's like you have to be in a place of like some level of awareness because you're going to have to talk to someone about how you're feeling. So you yeah. got to get in touch with that. And then you also, I really liken it to dating because it's like there has to be some chemistry. Otherwise, you're definitely not going to be telling them like your deepest, darkest secrets, which you kind of have to get that stuff out. So mm. I I will say there's there's a website. I don't know if you guys have heard of this website, Advocate. It's no. A-D-V-E-K-I-T. It's, it's, cool. it's like the Southern California area, but it's like a site where you plug in like what you're looking for. I think it like maybe even has like the pay range that you want to... That you want it to cost and it hmm. matches you. That's so cool. I know. I, I haven't used it just because I, I don't need to right now, but mm-hmm. I've told a lot of girls at work because I think it is. It's just another thing is like, ask your friends. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. I mean, I've only, I mean, most doctors I only see on like a referral from someone that I'm like, okay, we're kind of similar. we You know, Mm -hmm. that would work. Mm -hmm. But, and, and, and I guess the last thing I would, the last exclusive thing I would
0: say
8: (laughs) 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 is like, you don't, you don't have to take the first one you get. You know, it doesn't, if it doesn't feel right, you don't have
0: to force that because it's, you know, it's a big undertaking. Mm, Yeah. I can see myself like, either like trying to figure out the conclusions myself yeah being like well I think I do this because yeah. of this yeah yeah or like like lying <laughs> like, yeah
8: not like lying but just being like <laughs> maybe just not telling everything yeah like trying yeah. to impress them yeah. or something yeah you know have, have, you, have you never been to therapy
0: <laughs> yeah literally been on the verge there's just yeah I just no reason in particular I'm totally yeah. down yeah I will I will at some point in my life and I'm not putting it off for any reason it's a yeah. lot of work. It's a yeah. lot of work. It brings up a
8: lot of stuff. Yeah, there's, there's yeah, that's definitely what I'm
0: scared of is like actually facing my like shadow side.
8: Yeah, and that all happens, especially if you have a good therapist. Mm-hmm. But
0: I, I, and think I'm nervous everyone... about figuring one out. Like, yeah, I would like it. Just I guess what is my fear a little bit is that they could like seep into your subconscious. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. you have to fucking trust yeah. them. Yeah, because it's like they could fuck you up. Yeah. You know? They wouldn't, though. Yeah,
8: I mean, they These wouldn't. I've seen too many movies.
0: Yeah, I'm like, he's gonna, he's, gonna a, he's gonna be a pervert, and he's gonna fuck me. Oh That's God. I'm like, he's gonna hypnotize and fuck me. Oh, my God! I could not be more excited to share with you the founder and CEO of Poopery and the new organic cleaning line Supernatural, an investor and conscious human all around. The love of our lives, Susie Batisse. So having a childhood like you did, I mean, how did you
1: even find the light to wellness? Like what mm-hmm. was that gateway like?
5: Oh, wow. Yeah. I had the luxury of losing everything when I was 38. Mm-hmm. And I say luxury and that rarely do we have those. Sometimes the universe will do that to us. It'll kind of, you know, crash us so that we have to rebuild Sometimes people rebuild the same. I wasn't willing to do that. Mm. So when I filed my second bankruptcy, lost you know, the, the cars, the house, had to move, lied to everyone, even lied to my children. Mm. Uh, sometimes when I do talks, I say, can you imagine being in a space where you have to lie to the ones that love you the most? Like, where are mm. you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was just so lost. But what I realized is not only did I lose m- money or material wealth that I thought was so important, Right, because that was everything. If I could make enough money, then I could get my, I could be worthy or mm. uh, you know, finally be of value in the world. And what I realized is I was actually spiritually bankrupt, that I had literally nothing. I didn't have a God at that time. I had turned my back on Christianity because I was a rebel and I was molested by my stepfather that was a deacon and you know, all that just didn't make any sense to me. Wow. So I really had to go inside and really start looking at. Who I am, what do I want? And I found such a state of peace after about four years I was I went to Byron Katie, I was studying Gangaji. I mean I was literally just sitting home in a state of peace. I'd finally found peace in my life. I had no desire for money. Like it was like I just need enough to live and I, I was happier. I'm, I'm as happy now, but it was the happiest I'd ever been in my entire life with nothing. And, um, and then of course the idea for poo came and Mm -hmm. (laughs) we have this ride, but what's so exciting is I came back to business in a different place because Mm -hmm. before it was the, the success was, was going to get me what I thought that I needed to be worthy or, you know, Mm -hmm. like that's when I'm finally going to feel a value in the world and instead i already felt a value i was totally at peace and then to come back into business i was able to do it differently like i'm just going to do what turns me on totally because you know what sucks worse than losing all your money is realizing you didn't even have a good time doing it mm. <laughs> that's mm. the worst part what were the businesses
1: like before that or like wh- what were you like as an entrepreneur before that
5: well i was always i was telling someone yesterday i'm a hustler so i was always selling stuff out of the back of my car i always had some Something going, so I would have a job and then have a side gig, and my it was very similar. You know, it's like I was always hustling, so I had everything. I had a clothing line, I had tanning salons, beauty salons. I would just open a business and then I would somehow it wouldn't work because it was just from the wrong place, mm. you know. But finally, um, when I filed bankruptcy, I was in the final stages of getting funding for an idea I had. It was called Greener Grass, and it was a recruiting platform. This is in 1999, but it first matched a, a candidate's um, culture to a company's culture. Then it went down to the technical fit, wow. um, which nobody, it was uh, 15 years or at least Too 10, true. yeah, ahead of the curve. Yeah. But what happened, that wasn't what caused it. It was the stock market crashed. So to me, it was, you know, mm. God or the universe kind of going, okay, sister, we need to level you we're out. Wow. Yeah. So that's why I tell people is you have these opportunities. We were speaking at lunch. I was speaking with Rebecca. And we were talking about pivotal moments in your life. And I said, we have a chance every moment to pivot. Like, so life, if not, the universe or God will give us the big pivots, right? When we get too far away from ourselves and on the wrong track. What I like to do is try to keep clean. Mm. That's what I mean by that. Like, oh, hold on, I need to do that. So I don't pivot too far off track again because I've been really off. Mm.
1: Yeah. So do you call that intuition or what does that feel like to you?
5: Yeah. Do I call it intuition? Um, I do. I call it a lot of things. Um, It's, it's intuition. It's a knowing. Mm -hmm. um, So it's a little deeper than intuition. And it's just something, those little voices that keep, if something comes around to me three times or more, I've got to do it Mm. because that's telling me something. For example, this keeps popping up. So I want to clean my psyche from that. Um, No matter how embarrassing or, you know, so I'll have to go and say I was really embarrassed, you know, to say that wasn't the truth. Mm -hmm. But that's a lie. And here's why I did it. Um, It's never fun. And I want to be relieved of that out of my, it's like good psyche hygiene. Mm -hmm you know?
0: It's like cutting cords too.
5: It really is. It's like
0: an energetic cord that's still remaining.
5: It is. And it's telling you mm-hmm. like, hold on, there's something here. Mm-hmm. So no matter what that voice is, and I've done some pretty rad, I've had some pretty rad conversations, mm-hmm. but I honor uh, my, you know, psychological hygiene more than in my emotional and spiritual hygiene, more than I do any embarrassment factor or what somebody's going to think of me. Um because I know where that can lead me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So
0: that that kind of makes me think about like boundaries. And, you know, for so when you're talking, and that's really resonating for me because I feel like I'm kind of working on that is having a better, being more honest. You know, I'm not flat out lying to people, but there are times, and this has to do with like my work, that I'm being dishonest um, because it's not aligned so for that like how would you interact with someone so in that situation with that woman or that person where you kind of you know you said something you're probably like yeah sure i'll do that and you know maybe you knew in your mind that you wouldn't do that would you have in the would you have instead been like i'm so sorry i can't or how would you do that like how would i put that into practice because i'd love to be more like that
5: Yeah, I would say like, wow, I just noticed I wanted to say no. I wanted to say yes and lie to you, Mm -hmm. but I actually have a no. Love that. To doing that. So I don't ever say I'm sorry. My mentor says there's never a reason to say I'm sorry. Just tell me what went on for you.
2: Mm -hmm. And, you know, like,
5: so it's that. It's like, you know, I really wanted to impress you and say yes. And I actually have a no inside. So I just wanted to let you know what I was up to. So it's almost like calling yourself Mm. on your own game, you know, and it's so refreshing. It's like, oh, okay. You know, I mean, whenever somebody does that with me, which I wish people would do more, it's like, oh, you know.
0: It gives you the permission to. You're like, I'm empowered to do that now.
5: You know, if someone's like, sorry,
0: I can't, you're like, wow.
5: Yeah, and Mm -hmm. one thing I've been looking at lately is our energetic state at being the currency, which we value. Oh. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Because think about it. Yeah. So like we value money or material things, or if you look at what's a value in the world, Mm. right? I mean, sometimes love, right? You know, it's like love. Yeah, that's what I want. Or I want the big house, the big car, the status. But really your internal energetic state, my internal energetic state, I won't put this on anyone else, is of the highest value to me. So if I override and say no, then I'm going to put myself into a place of dissonance. And that's, I'm not getting life force energy. I'm actually draining not only the other person, but also myself. So for me to be honest, it's not so much about boundaries and shutting someone out. It's just like, it's not working in this moment. The same reason that, you know, I'm not eating ice cream right now. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It's, mm-hmm. it's just like, it's, so I have a, um, a chapter in my book called, It's Not Personal, It's Physics. And when you start learning that it's literally just a state of physics, like, when you're turned on, go towards that. I loved you saying that you you feel more alive or drawn. This is what's calling us. That's mm-hmm. what you said. And I was like, ding, yes. Yeah. If we all moved a little bit more towards what was calling us, imagine that. Like, think if 10% of the people shifted and started doing what they really wanted to do. That's just more light in the world. Yeah. You're happier. Your energetic state is more. So, for example… Uh, my energetic state with this untruth, whatever that I have floating mm-hmm. out there, is like dirtying up my my mm. energy, and I don't want to do that. So I value that higher than how I may look to her or someone else. Did you feel that same like clarity and cleanliness in that
1: energy uh, with poopery with that idea? Like, how did that come about, and was it that? easy. I know the process wasn't easy, but Mm -hmm. was it that easy to just be like, yes?
5: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I actually answered a a question on the Goop panel. Somebody said, what's Mm -hmm. the first thing you should do in your business? If you have a a business. And I said, make sure the idea is resonant. So a lot of times we'll strategize. This is what we should do in business. This is what the outside world says I should do, right? You can hire every consultant in the world, but really only you know. So what happened with poo is I was at a dinner party. And again, remember I'd sworn off business. Like, I'm not doing it. I'm just going to sit home and listen to Gangaji and live happily ever after. And my brother-in-law said, can bathroom odor be trapped? And it was literally like this wake up. And I felt a jolt of like chill bumps up my arm and my energy, like it, everything went high def. And I just said, I can do that because my hobby was essential oils for years.
1: Hmm.
5: And he was like, really? good thing, so? You know, he's kind of testing me. And I said, no, I really do. So I I worked almost a year on the formula, but it wasn't like hard. I was being drawn towards rather than pushing. Does that make sense? I was being pulled. It's like, I don't know what this is about. I'm just like a mad scientist mixing every single day. Can I do this? Mm. And then once I did it, it's like, oh my God, everybody loved it. Like this has to be in the world. It's like once you do birth a child, it's like, oh, we... What do you do with this? It's fabulous. You know, yeah. you start raising it. So that's the way I treated my business. I wasn't in the mindset of going into business. It's just I, this idea was so resonant and so alive within me. Mm. And um, in my in my book, I have four signs of resonance for myself, and that's I get a body sensation. I normally have chill bumps. I love seeing you tear up. Normally, my body responds in some way. I have a heightened sense of energy. You know, I'm, I don't suddenly need that tea in the afternoon right. or it's just like I feel excited. And the idea keeps coming back around. That's knocking on its door in synchronicity. Like normally I'll see something so cool. that, yeah. So those are the four markers that I follow like breadcrumbs and they don't make sense to the outside world a lot. And um, yeah, so for me, the business has been really living these principles of going, can you operate a business like this? I don't know. And I'm just, I'm still just trying. Yeah. I'm just like a yogi, like practicing yoga, but I'm doing it in the business world going, can you keep going towards ideas that are alive? Let's see. Uh, (laughs) Let's uh, see. This one feels good. Let's go. Yeah, it's fun. And the fact
1: that you were, as a hobby, were into aromatherapy. I mean, we talk about that a lot. Like it's really fun for us to connect the dots and I'm sure for you it is too. But I mean- for that to be something that you are passionate about and then you got asked that question mm-hmm. it's crazy Isn't it's crazy it? like it's it's actually a miracle like i don't mm-hmm. really know what that is like mm-hmm. obviously it's just divine and mm-hmm. all of that but I, i'm just blown away that like that that line was just it was just so clear and lit you up in such a way that it's become this Unbelievable success,
5: mm-hmm. yeah, and it's um, still every day. So, what my practice is now is, can I still keep le- uh, leading and living these principles as the business keeps getting bigger? Because there's more at stake, right? Because yeah. I've never had an investor, I'm debt free, I've never had a loan, like everything's self funded. So everything <laughs> I ha- amazing. So everything I have is in my company. So think of the stakes. Mm. So I just keep like. Like the fool and the tarot, you know. I'm just like, okay, yes. let's see. Can it really still keep growing? And oh, okay, let mm-hmm. me just expand. We just let, pulled that card yesterday. We just pulled oh, that card for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So can I keep expanding <laughs> into this state of faith? Mm-hmm. And like, I have chill bumps right now as mm-hmm. I say that, like, all over my entire body, mm-hmm. because that is the practice. Because I feel scared a lot. I know. I can and. But what I feel more is the excitement and the thrill, like I'm actually sweating right now thinking about this, the the thrill of being able to practice this and seeing, I don't know, can it go further? Can it grow bigger? Mm-hmm. How can can I really be the living proof? And then and then also really diving into these and what if I'm a big failure in front of everyone and it's much bigger now? Yeah. You know? I mean, that's those are the stakes. And I can't tell you, like, I want to cry right now. Like, there's no better game, dude. Like, it is the game Mm. because it's coming purely from the inside and it has nothing to do with the rest of the world. Yeah. It's like, can I keep opening and allowing and practicing? And that's it. We feel that so hard.
1: And now author of Rich Bitch, TV news anchor, and incredible businesswoman, Nicole Lappin. I think it's so interesting to think about like how your the way you view money and saving and all of that is like directly related to like your relationship either with yourself or kind of like how much work you've done, like internal work. And so did you do any internal work? Like I'm just thinking about your childhood. Like I cannot imagine, you know, your experience with loss and... And feeling as if you weren't taught the skills needed to be financially savvy from an early age. So was there some work that you did personally that really changed the way you viewed yourself and then yourself in the workplace, yourself when you know you would go to invest or save?
3: Yeah, I had to rethink everything. And as I taught myself this language, I realized that what we've been told for our entire lives of like, don't buy a latte, buy a house, stop in the 401k. Like, that could be true for a lot of folks. It's not true for everyone. There's no financial gospel. And for me, it was really important to rethink conventional financial wisdom and start thinking for myself. And it was the same to the moment that I had when I was, I think I was like 11 or 12, where I decided I was going to be a vegetarian. And I've been vegetarian since then. I've been vegan for about half of it. And I stopped and thought, Pitbull, for laughing. Sometimes I call myself laughing, whatever. <laughs> um, do I like meat? And the answer was no. The answer could have been yes, though. And I think that moment is the same thing that happened to me. From my financial life, I had to stop and and say, okay, just the way, because I've always eaten meat, or just because my family was always Jewish, like, do I like Judaism? Do I like meat? Mm. And if I said yes to those questions, cool. But at least I stopped and like checked in with myself, and that was the same thing that happened with money. It's like, okay, I've been told don't buy a latte. Before I take that as gospel, like, stop for a minute and say. Why can I not buy this latte? And I often argue for the morning latte. I know you're welcome. Um, but <laughs> only because like it made zero sense to me when I stopped and thought about it. Like essentially, what we've been told growing up is don't buy latte, make your coffee at home, save up, and buy a house. Okay, and um, like sometimes that can work for folks. Like that might make sense depending on your situation. But for me, it didn't because I looked at a financial diet a lot like I look, like a re- look at a regular diet. If you allow yourself small indulgences, you won't end up binging later on. So I don't know what the fad diet is. Atkins, South Beach, grapefruit, keto juice, I what is
0: it? Keto right now. Keto. I got- Ketogenic, you uh, yes. don't know, honey? <laughs>
3: Girl, I I don't know anything. I don't, like whatever it is, eat styrofoam. So, like, that's obviously not sustainable because you're gonna want that's like true. you're gonna end up binging on a big old hunk of chocolate cake in the middle of the night because you're so starved and so deprived. Like, mm-hmm. not that I know anything about that, but like we've all been there. And so instead, like something sustainable, like an eating plan, allows you a Hershey's kiss, so you don't end up binging on that big old hunk of chocolate cake. So I thought, okay, well. I think about dieting in a eating and weight sense like that, and I probably will use the same mentality for my financial life. So, what's the equivalent of a financial Hershey's kiss that will keep me on track? And that to me is a latte. If you don't like coffee, like I'm using a latte as like an example of something that's a small indulgence. So, do what insert like a mani petty or yoga class or whatever in there. Mm. And if you if you do that every day or you do that on the regular and you Keep yourself satisfied. You won't end up binging on like Vuitton or whatever later on. Because so many women come to me in the beginning of the year and they're like, Nicole, you would be so proud of me. I stopped buying the morning latte. And I'm like, mm, let's see how long that lasts. Because after a few months, it's like I got the Gucci purse because I was so good. It's like, well, if you just so got your true. latte, like maybe we wouldn't have bought the Gucci purse. And maybe that would have been better overall. Um, and then sometimes it's better to rent a house um, versus buying a house. I mean, I have so many thoughts about why we've been misinformed about home ownership being the end-all be-all and how that's such a great investment. It's not. Um, a home is a home. It's not a good investment if you're flipping houses, like get a job on HGTV. If you look at studies that have been done over the longest period of time, 100 years, housing has barely kept up with the rates of um, the normal stock market or inflation or um, you know what you would typically do with investing money um, outside uh, of real estate. And so there is this misconception that we've been told like grandma bought a house for fifty grand and now it's worth two hundred fifty grand. and we forget that like when grandma bought that house, movie tickets were also five cents. and we forget about inflation and we forget about like comparing the same type of thing together. Um, and so, we often just don't stop and think about that. And especially for young people, we're moving around, you know, we don't get a lot of those costs back. People say, well, laughing, you know, renting is like throwing money in the toilet. And I'm like, well, that's like saying buying food is throwing money away because you poop it out.
6: No, the
3: cost of living. I'm sorry. Like (laughs) you have to pay to live. That's the thing. And so um, for me, it was getting to a place where I could stop and think, like, hey, if I'm going to throw all of my savings into a house, then I'm house poor and I can't go to the supermarket and buy groceries with a mortgage if I don't have any other money. And so I think generally when it comes to financial stuff, it's that moment where you check in with yourself about all of these decisions and say like, hey, does this work for me. Um, and oftentimes it's not the case and the financial gods are not going to come down and get you because you buy your latte and rent.
0: Tim, I always wanted to ask you what your thought on houses are and buying houses. Cause you know, living in LA, it's like, what? I've heard so many people are renting now. Yeah.
1: Like people who I would think who have been married for, you know, a yeah. few years, maybe have one kid and they're renting. So why would you choose renting over buying?
5: Well,
3: do you, you say it kind of like it's a bad thing.
1: I, no. Why I, is
3: it well, I think it's surprising though?
1: It's surprising because we've been kind of taught, like, well, you get married and you mm-hmm. save money mm-hmm. to put a down payment on a house. Yeah,
0: you do see it as your, like, you know some what I mean?
1: It's just, just the story, which I don't, you know,
0: totally.
3: I, no, I'm just curious. Like, yeah, why? literally. No, because I think it's that story that really messes us up. Because if you look at, you know, some of those couples, and I know them too, if they have taken like the, the bulk of whatever they've saved together as a couple and they've invested it, typical returns and it goes up and down in the stock market. It's let's say it's about 10%. So inflation typically grows at about 3%. So if you drag 10, you know, three from 10, you get seven. So generally, if you are investing in that way, you're growing 7%. If you're putting your money in the, in not even under the mattress in a bank, what are you getting? Like maybe a percent or something. So if you take, Three percent from one percent, you're at negative. So you're essentially losing money if you're putting it in in a bank account. And if you're taking all of that money that you might have and putting it into a house with a young family, then you're taking all your liquidity and like just putting it into bricks or wood or whatever the house made out of. Or you know, in mm. Venice, maybe it's like some fancy like earthy bungalow. No, <laughs> so con- concrete. Like it's made of like clay, <laughs> Egyptian clay. Some but it's, I think it's like it's so interesting to me that you say that because I think it's just if, if you stopped and thought about it in that sense, like, is that story perhaps even smarter in, as you're starting your life out and you're starting to grow wealth and you're starting to build wealth? You can only invest and play with the money that you actually have in liquidity. You can't invest money that you put into a down payment in a house where, you know, it's a home. I think thinking about a house as like a place you're going to stay for a long time. Moving is not only a pain in the ass, but it's so expensive. And if you, if your job makes you move, moving is expensive. Putting your house on the market is expensive, especially when you need to do it quickly. Then you're taking like whatever you can get. That's not a good financial decision. Um, And then also just remember when you're, when stuff goes wrong, you have termites, you have leaks. You know, in some parts of the country, you have some snow issues and whatever. Um, that's you. Look in the mirror, and you're the landlord now, and that that's an expense that you don't think about um, you are taking on. And so, especially when you're starting off a family, I think it's much better in a younger family that might be moving for jobs or whatever to really keep that expense like pretty nimble. Um, and if you're paying five grand a month, let's say for rent and keeping the majority of your, like the lump sum of your wealth, either growing in some sort of interest bearing account, CD, bond, bank account, um, uh, like not bank account, I should say online bank account might get you a little bit more, but it's not that fantastic or investment. Um, and we can talk more about that. I talk a lot about it in, in Rich Fitch too. I give like my case for essentially this of why housing is not like the ticket to financial freedom.
0: Someone that makes me genuinely laugh and makes me smile. Filmmaker, director, artist, and creator of We Are All Going to Die Festival, Stefan Hunt.
9: But I wanted to create an experience where people could come and be the hero of their own journey of dealing with, you know, looking at fear and the role it plays in their life and using death to to start those conversations. And so I came up with the idea for a multimedia festival and it was a ton of hard work and I spent an entire year working on it unpaid and it launched in Sydney last year and we sold out and it was an amazing success.
0: It was, I was blown away. So like when you started talking about it I was like I'm so into the concept like this is stun this is like such a cool idea. And then when I saw the pictures I was like it's it was like so visually stunning. Can you talk about like the role of art within everything too? Like you know art is such a big part of your life and you are such a like accomplished artist and like creator. So can you talk about the role of art within the festival as well?
9: Yeah, totally. So I guess for me on a personal level, because I'm a film director, there's all these other art forms that I do in my spare time. I, I illustrate and I write and make little installations, but I've never shared them with anyone. I don't know whether that's just because I see it as a hobby or whether I'm actually afraid of what people think of them, but I saw this project as an opportunity to face my own fears of, of sharing this art with the world Uh, And also just to express myself in different ways other than just filmmaking. But beyond that, I think that art is this incredible, powerful medium that you can use to connect an audience to a really important message. And so much of the conversations out there I find around, whether it's mental health or or just, I guess, self-help inspirational kind of messages, they're packaged up in a certain way, and I kind of wanted to break that mould. I wanted to use the art and the artists that I loved to communicate a message in a really relevant and accessible way. And I didn't want any boundaries. I didn't want a big company coming in and saying, oh, you can't do this or you can't do that. I just wanted to let this festival just completely be an expression of everything I loved. So there was film and music and visual art and performance and immersive experiences and panel discussions. And it was everything that I love in my life. And it was all around themes of fear and death. And it was all my favorite artists. And I, I, I thought it would work and it did. And yeah, I'm, I'm stoked about that.
0: What were some of the messages that, the consistent messages and themes that some of the artists expressed around death and fear?
9: I think one of the biggest lessons... That I took away from the entire project was I reached out to artists, probably half of them were, were friends of mine that are established artists, and the other half I had never even met before, but I loved what they created. And throughout the process of inviting them to become part of this project, I saw that they all have fears as well. And that blew my mind because I think we've always got this idea that the people more established than us have it figured out and that they're immune to fear that they don't feel it and then all of a sudden when you see someone who you look up to write to you and say I don't know if I can do this like my work sucks or I don't think people will like this message or I just I don't think I'm good enough It, it blew my mind because these are the people that I look up to and so ultimately for me That The whole project taught me that we all have fears. We all have fears and that you're not alone in your fears. And that was the message I wanted to champion throughout the festival. We all have these daily fears that hold us back in some way, but the sooner we can identify them and realise we're not the only ones, the more we can work together and have more empathy and compassion and realise that, yes, it's human to feel this, but we can also overcome it together.
1: Mm. What did you witness at the festival in terms of, one, people's individual reactions, but also like on a collective community level? Like, did you see more connection? Like, what was what was the response?
9: Uh, yeah, so the, the festival happened on a Friday night. It was a one-night festival. And, you know, just like America, Friday night, people want to go out and get boozy and party and have a good time. Mm-hmm. And instead, we had... 1,250 young people in this giant warehouse space with 10 different rooms going through this experience. It was a full-on labyrinth where they could choose their own adventure. And it was like a, a music festival, basically, but with all different art. And you could go and choose what you wanted to do and then come back to these common spaces. And everyone around was just talking about fear and death on a Friday night which is unheard of. And beyond that, we had so much feedback after the festival saying, I've never been to anything like that for a festival about fear and death. Everyone was really stoked. And it just had this community energy where it was just a non-judgmental space. There was no judgment there, which is pretty rare, especially in the art world, to be in a space Mm. with a ton of strangers and not feel judged. It was just a really all-encompassing festival that celebrated just being human and all of our flaws that come with that. Mm. So, yeah, there was a great community spirit and energy and the response was, it blew my mind how positive it was. And then there was cool stories that came out of it about, you know, people, uh, there was this one, have you heard of eye gazing before? Yes. Yeah, so we did eye gazing and a friend of mine was sitting in eye gazing and there were two people guy and girl next to them. And apparently halfway through eye gazing, these two people just like leant over and just started making out. <laughs> yeah, legit. And they'd never said a word to each other. They just like obviously connected that much that so they just started making out. And then they just spent Damn. the entire festival together and walked around. Oh, yellow-
0: yellowing. Oh wow. my God. That's
9: cool. Isn't that cool? Hot. cool. Yeah, it's hot.
0: Yeah, that's hot. Yeah, isn't it? That's
9: hot. No words. It's like... Apparently, That's apparently so how it cool. happened, she winked and then he just leaned over and just kissed.
0: <laughs> she really just needs to blink. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, I've been eye gazing for seven <laughs> minutes. she's like, it's on.
9: He totally misread it and now there's a lawsuit. <laughs> Literally.
0: Yeah. Literally. Whoa. Damn, <laughs> I could totally see that. What
1: was the most challenging thing about putting on this festival? Like, was there judgment? You know, did, did you try to get sponsors and they backed out? Like, what, what was it like?
9: Yeah, I, I guess as a, uh, as a as a typical artist, I was pretty precious about the message and how we executed it. So I spoke to different brands about, you know, supporting it and, and coming on board as a sponsor. And no, no one was interested in a festival called We're All Going to Die. Really? And the funny thing is, like, the message is fear less, live more, we're all going to die anyway. And so they said if you call it the Live More Festival, we'll happily come on board. And I didn't. And I didn't because, again, I believed that in order to get through to this certain audience, I needed to share it in the most authentic way. And and that was calling it something like we're all going to die. It got people's attention and no one had ever been to a a festival about fear and death executed in this way. Like it wasn't morbid and it wasn't you know, some weird little subculture of people that are really into it, like wearing... Some ma- like
8: death
1: metal. <laughs> yeah,
9: like I, I feel like you'd imagine people in like matrix outfits, you know, you know, the, you know uh, trench coats, like this was everyday people. Yeah, this was everyday people <laughs> coming to this festival. And, and so I was really stubborn about that, that we executed it in the way that I would, I would want to go sport myself. And um, mm. I think that paid off.
1: I'm so glad you did. Because I think that would have been easy to like change it just to make it all kind of flow and have the sponsorship and all of that. But it definitely would not have been the same. And also, Live More is very basic. 100%.
0: <laughs> you know like, what I mean? Live Mo- it's like Live Moss is like, is like a brand lo- <laughs> yeah. like logo. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, Live yeah. Moss. Yeah. I love yeah. It. And that's why you're an artist. And that's why you're a creator. And that's why you are you know, special is that you see that vision and you stick to it, which is amazing. I think there's something that you're talking about too was like how the artists didn't judge each other and didn't, um, people were like removed of judgment. And I think there's, you know, obviously the, um, when you're talking about death and fear, there's something interesting that happens when people are being their like authentic selves and they are expressing their fear. The vulnerability sort of lends itself to non-judgment. You know, people are less inclined to judge if they both have that like general understanding that they are going to be like open and vulnerable and in a place where they don't feel completely comfortable. You know, it's like humans are interesting. Like we are way more compassionate, I think, than, you know, we, we want to make out to be.
9: I couldn't agree more. And, and again, I think coming back to the, this idea of, you know, the art world or, or young people going to some kind of festival there's so much judgment in a space like that, but it just comes from a place of insecurity. So if you can create an environment where from the get-go, you're saying, guys, we're all going to die. We're all human. We all have fears. Let's talk about it and let's do it in a really fun way. You've just like cut out all of, all of even the possibility of entertaining judgment and going in there insecure. Because we're saying like, we're all insecure in some ways, or we all have these flaws. Let's let's talk about it. And and that was so obvious at the festival.
0: Someone who just left my house the other night, our dear friend, Reiki Healer, speaker, and founder of Wellness Official Milana Snow.
6: One thing I can say is that the chakras are connected to a uh, physical parts of our body, right? Mm -hmm. So like the heart chakra is literally also connected to the heart, the physical heart. Um, And all of these are um, interconnected with your other bodies. So you actually were asking about like the auric field and like how that works. So like you have the physical body, the mental body, the emotional body, and then the spiritual body. So it kind of, it goes in those layers. And when we work on the energy, sometimes I could be literally as far out from here working on you or I could literally be touching you because maybe your physical body is in need of that. So um so it's all kind of like interlayered as well. Mm. So um I guess we could start with with the root. So the root is connected to your sexual organs as as well as, you know, your sacral as well. But um it could be everything from if you can't seem to find a house, like if you keep moving. Like I had a client that was living between Jamaica in New York and she could like, net and she was super successful. There was no reason, like it wasn't like she didn't have the money to go and like settle down. She just like could never stay in one place. Like there would be like a new opportunity and she'd like have to go back to Jamaica. And she's feeling super ungrounded and just like really wanted to be in a relationship, but just never could like even have sex because it was just constantly moving, mm. constantly ungroundedness. And this was a symptom of her root chakra being out of alignment. And so- we worked on her root chakra and literally within a couple of days she went back to jamaica and ended up staying in jamaica for like 6 months stint which for her was a really big deal and while she was there she met a man so that like that is just an example that's like a real world example of someone who who was not connected also to the earth she had no ground connection mm. And so she was kind of just floating everywhere. And what's really interesting about that, like in the universe, it was like really legitimate things came up, you know, like, oh, now we need you in London. Oh, now we actually need to come to Nairobi. And like, of course, I'm going to say yes to that. I'm going to go there now, you know, but she didn't want that. that. That didn't feel good to her. It can also come in the form of, you know, just like not having your basic survival needs met where you just feel like, oh man, like I just can't seem to get, like my life together, like what's going on, and that can come from like an ungroundedness or like um, having that center out of alignment. It can also be a physical thing, where maybe you have, um, you know, physical ailments in your your reproductive organs. Again, this kind of layers into your sacral chakra as well. But um, so that's that's your root, and then and then your sacral has um, more to do with like your creativity. And and what's interesting for both men and women is this is actually like the space of where you're holding your most creative power, which is the ability to have a child, right? Or to make babies. <laughs> mm-hmm. So cool. I find that, you know, I'm actually teaching at Yeah Field Trip with Biet. In like two weeks. Same. Oh, sh- we're going to be there. We're going right. and speaking oh, my too. Sister. <laughs> oh my God, you guys, we're going to have so much fun. <laughs> we're all whipping so towels around. Oh my God. And we're going <laughs> to get so many amazing pictures. because There's so many amazing photographers yes. there. I know. So oh, I'm super about excited so about this because like, this is like, everybody's there to be creative.
1: Mm-hmm. And so
6: I teach about the sacral chakra essentially at this particular conference or field trip because people are coming to be creative and to open up more creative channels and energy healing is essential if that's something that you feel blocked in. Mm. And so when you feel like, you know, God, I just can't seem to like get this book done or I feel like the ideas, not not necessarily ideas, but more like the, my creativity is just like stifled. A lot of times, and again, this is all interconnected, but a lot of times your creative center, your sacral is blocked. And it can also be like your overly sexual, if you like are having a lot of unhealthy sex, or if you're having a lot Mm. of, you know, physical stimulation, that could also be an imbalance in that center too, where you're like Mm. constantly just trying to go and create, create, create. It could sometimes get to an unhealthy place as well. And so it's kind of just looking at the nuance of that because when you're really uh, vibrant and, and balanced in your sacral you start to really open up to a really beautiful sexual experience and, and can have more consisti- consistency in your sex life and, and having more pleasurable, deeper experiences that are meaningful. And sacral, not root. So, and this is interesting because I personally have experienced this in a way that I haven't necessarily heard everybody explain it in books. Mm-hmm. I consider the sexual, when it comes to the root, being more like the carnal sex of like the basic needs, Right. Mm. And I feel like when you come up into this chakra system, each time we're kind of going to new levels of higher consciousness. So when we're when we're coming from um, a sacral that is open and a root that is open, that's when we're having sex, it is also like deeper and more meaningful. Mm. That, that that's sense. how I've experienced yeah. it. I'm curious what everybody out there has.
0: I've never had sex, so <laughs> Oh, well,
6: good for you. <laughs> Sure, you have other I'll things that work there. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's people out there that haven't, and for those who haven't, Respect. actually, is that an know, imbalance? It's no. Oh, okay, that that's a really good question, but it can be if you're not expressing yourself creatively. So, if you're not having sex and it's not con- and it's not conscious sex, you really need to be mindful about making sure that that energy in your lower chakras is really flowing in a healthy and supportive way. Mm. But that's a kind of a given, right? I mean, anyways. But I mean, to be honest, like sex can be a really beautiful, pleasurable access point Mm -hmm. for creativity. Absolutely, you know, and for releasing creative energy. Wow! And working in that, I guess I could keep going, but I don't know. I feel like is that is this too much? No, 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 this is what we want. This is what our listeners want. This is what we want. Okay,
0: this is amazing. (laughs) Okay, I know it seems like you know nitty gritty for you, but this is like I have no idea.
6: Okay, good. Um, so you come up to the to the solar plexus, which for me is one of my favorite ones to work on because um, you know, on a surface level, the solar plexus can look like ego and like confidence. And I feel like self-confidence is so important and having a balanced and healthy ego because the ego is never going away, as long as you're in this body, mm. is important. But to me, actually, like the the central sun of your body which is your solar plexus is bright yellow like fiery space in your energy field is more about coming from a place of like just absolute no know, knowing of self and knowing exactly like what you came here to do and you're totally in alignment with it you're totally on purpose you're totally grounded and centered in who you are and i just can't like to me that is one of the most beautiful things to see in a person right because you're just kind of on fire and you're in purpose and you're at least no matter what if your other shit is off whack you're mm-hmm. at least like you know where you're headed you know <laughs> yeah so to me I really love to work in that space and it's been really interesting especially when experiencing that over time with a lot of different people or in like a group setting you can kind of pick up on like certain themes in certain times of year or like um and when certain like things are happening in the world or in the universe, you kind of pick up on like where this might come up as more of like a theme amongst people. And I, I personally find that this is something that like consciousness is really working in right now, like really being in purpose, centered in a place of knowing self in a really um, deep way, right? And then, And then it can be then perceived as like confidence, but it, it goes way beyond that. And so when that's off balance, right? We actually see people kind of hunched and protective of that space. And that's when people are kind of small. And that then kind of, I mean, did you kind of even just feel the way that I like changed when I did that? Mm -hmm. Like your energy field even shrinks, but like when your central sun is off whack and your solar plexus is like not vibrant, you kind of start to fold into yourself. And what can also come from that can be like shortness of breath digestive issues, which can also be connected to your sacral as well, because they're all interlayered. Mm -hmm. Um, It can also just be related to um, not being able to really digest your food and not really Mm. being able to digest your life, Mm. (laughs) ironically. So um, that's something to really look at. But even just like you can just on a physical level, you can kind of see when someone is not really fully expressed in their solar plexus, when they walk into a room and they're kind of just like this. I mean, it's very easy. As opposed to when someone walks in the room and they're high, they're open, their shoulders are back and their solar plexus just like, you know. Mm. So that's something that's really interesting because if you can just pick up on that in yourself and you just kind of notice like, hmm, I'm a little hunched today and I'm like kind of protective of the space, then that can kind of be a little reminder that, okay, maybe maybe I could open up my solar plexus. And that's something you can do mentally and you can work with your own energy field with your hands and your intention that you want to open up that space and you want to tap into your your true self. We had so much fun with our next guest. She's an actress and
1: very well-known comedian, Angela Johnson. I was
10: super poor. My friend that said Mm. she would help me get started, show me the ropes. Not only did she keep her word, I survived in LA for the first five years, based on her hand-me-downs. All my clothes in my closet were once hers. Mm. If we wore the same shoe size, they'd be her shoes too. So instead I had the same one pair of shoes for like the first five years. But all my clothes in my closet were hers. Like she was an angel, absolutely. Her name is Sandra McCoy, Lover to death. And mm. so this is a great story. She's like, okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to sign up at Central Casting to be an extra on TV, okay? She said, when you get there, there's going to be a line of people out the door waiting to sign up because everybody wants to be an extra. She goes, don't wait in line. I want you to go to the front window and I want you to ask for this guy. And I forget his name at the time, so we'll just call him Sam. Okay. Um, And so she goes, I want you to come with a tray of cookies and your at headshot. Okay. And I want you to tell him you're new to town and you want to be an extra. And I was like, this sounds like the shadiest <laughs> casting couch beginning of a casting like, couch I I'll ever do it. A sleazy raider at photo you're shoot. Like am I like, wearing clothes yeah. when I walk up? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What should I wear? My lingerie? Just be ready to go or what how do we do this? Yeah. Like, I felt so sleazy and I was like, "Oh my god." So, but I do it and I get there and there's a line of people out, mm. out the door. I'm walking past them with my tray of cookies, my freaking, uh, what's it called? I'm trying to lure somebody in. Bait. no, My bait, yeah, whatever yeah. it is. Whatever it is. I got my tray of cookies. Everybody sees me with cookies. They're like, who's she trying to buy? I go to the front desk and I'm like, hi, I'm here to see Sam. Mm-hmm. They're like, okay, sure. He'll be right out. This guy comes walking out wearing a Raiders hat. That's why.
6: Are you kidding me? You're like pulling your shirt up higher.
10: (laughs) Are you kidding me? So big fan or? So he's a huge Raider fan. fan. I give him these cookies and I give him my Raiderette headshot. And I go, hi, I'm new to town. I want to be an extra. And he goes, Raiderette? (laughs) No way. Oh my God. Are you kidding me? We had just got off the Super Bowl, So it was like a whole thing. So it was like that whole talk, like awesome. Yeah. Dub. Okay, cool. I don't think he said
6: dope, but- You're like, I recently was, made $85 yeah. at the Super Bowl. Yeah, exactly.
10: <laughs> Should I invoice? Um, okay. <laughs> um, so he was like, great. I didn't even sign up at the time. He was like, cool, give me your name and number and I'll call you when I have something. All right, sounds good. A couple of days later, he calls me. He's like, hey, do you want to be an extra on Friends? The best show of all time, like, yeah. number one show <laughs> at the time. Are you kidding? My favorite show of all time. And he's like, do you want to be an extra on Friends? And I was like- I'm available. Are you kidding me? Yes, I'm available. Thank you. I'll be there. What time? Sure. Thank you. So I get there. And um, when, you, when you don't- Listen, everybody. If you want to be an actress or an actor and you don't have a SAG card, it's very difficult to do. You have to join the union, get a SAG card. So the way you can do that is you be an extra- And if a SAG extra doesn't show up, that means there's an extra SAG voucher and they'll usually give it to like their favorite non-union extra. If you get three SAG vouchers, you can now join the union. Mm -hmm. That's how it all works, right? Or that's how it did work at the time. I don't know if it still works that way. Yeah,
6: I think it does. That feels like the Hunger Games, It no? is.
1: It so is the Hunger Games. Okay, it is. You'll see them like by the, <laughs> the, the whatever okay. PA or the like whatever. Like everybody's okay. trying DP, to schmooze
10: yeah. to like get the SAG voucher. Yeah. Like whatever That's extra SAG voucher. another We'll
1: and
5: develop it.
10: Totally. Okay. <laughs> so the guy from Central Casting put me in the program and their computer as a SAG extra. So immediately my first voucher is a SAG voucher. So he just put me in as I'm a union member. So I started getting SAG vouchers right away. So my first three days of being an extra already was SAG eligible. Damn. And angel. there's an angel. Angel. You know what like, I mean? am going to call him out. Cookies yeah. sugar
6: is the way, I, right? To that? Because <laughs> you brought cookies. Oh. Were you in no, your Raiders uniform, by the way? No,
10: no, okay, well. I didn't. That would have been, that that been, been a bit much, yeah. I think. Extra. <laughs> so now I'm an extra on friends. Well, I end up making friends with the AD. Mm-hmm he's Latino, I'm Latino, he's funny, I'm funny, we're making each other laugh. I don't know the politics of being an extra. I don't know you're supposed to schmooze to get back. I'm just legitimately making friends with this guy yeah. and we're making each other laugh. And he's like, you want to come back tomorrow? I'm like, yeah, I'll come back tomorrow. You guys, I was an extra on Friends for seasons nine and 10.
1: The whole season. Ever. Whole season? <laughs> the whole season. I'm watching it tonight.
10: Yeah.
6: You'll find me. You'll Audiences see me. are like- Wait, wasn't that girl also Wait.
1: what? Yeah, every episode? Did you become yeah. like a stand-in at some point for like… Not on Friends. Okay.
10: But so what happened was I'm an extra on Friends for like season 9 and 10. And I had just moved to Hollywood. So you guys, somebody had told me early on, like before I even moved, they're like, don't be an extra. Nobody respects the extras on set. Don't be one of those, right? Well, here's the thing, you guys. This is a bunch of perspective. Are you coming to get respect, mm. or are you coming to grow and, and learn? learn? I took free class from Jennifer Aniston, Lisa Kudrow, Courtney Cox. I got to watch them every day, see them process, see how they worked, and I got a free class from them for two years in a row for two seasons. It was unreal. It was it was the best. Wow. Education. Onset I could have asked
1: for. Education. So but, were you aware? Like, were you because I, I think as an extra, sometimes they can get like, you know, if, if you're mixed up with people who are like, oh yeah, all right, we gotta go sit over there again. Okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Were you like laser focused? Like what was hungry. going on? Yeah,
3: you're hungry, hungry as fuck. That's yeah.
10: I was so hungry and I wasn't over the top. I didn't try to talk to the actors mm-hmm. if I wasn't invited to. I wasn't trying to like none of that. Then I think they notice when you don't try because then they want to talk to you. Exactly. Right. Because then I'd be out By the way, side. the trick
6: of the town. Yeah. yeah. If anyone's exactly. taking notes yeah. on that.
10: And yeah. then next thing you know, they're agree. having their smoke break and I'm standing right there with them and hearing their family stories and hearing how, you know, somebody's dog died or whatever. And I'm just standing right there with them.
6: I showed up to Lindsay's Soul Cycle class and afterwards oh. I was like, what a loser. <laughs> <laughs> then she came up to me and she's like, Oh, well, okay. Now we can be friends. Now we can be friends. <laughs> That's yes. a lie, by the way. <laughs> the story goes differently. But I agree. But you
1: were like, yeah. and it's almost like you could, being around that and just being you around that, right? Yeah. Like you weren't trying to be anyone else. No. It's like you were starting to embody like exactly what you're, you are now. You know what I mean? Like where you are in your career. It's yeah. just, it's like they're expanders for you. So you're watching Jennifer Aniston and whatnot and- you can see yourself doing that,
0: absolutely.
1: Right? Yeah, they're expanders for you. Yeah,
10: absolutely. I'm watching them going. I'm going to get Got my it. turn one. I day. like the word expanders. Yeah, I'm going to use it three. That's more times helpful. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you like can it, cut no. this part out. I'll take it. I'll take that one with me too. Yep. Expanders. Um, yeah. And then I was still poor though. So like craft service table. That was my groceries for the week. Yeah, man. Like oh, that's how man. I survived. Wow. Um, and then friends was done, okay. and they did the Joey spinoff show. Right. Do you remember
1: that? Yeah. Did Briefly? that happen right away? Yeah. One oh. season. Right away. So I was an extra on that. So he how brought did me that happened So you, did you have the same AD or it was- Same AD. Come so he brought man. me back.
10: Um, so I was an extra for the Joey show. And then that AD mm-hmm. left um, after the Joey show and he was the AD on a different sitcom. And that's where he brought me in as a stand-in. So now I'm a stand-in on this sitcom while I'm taking this free joke oh, writing class. Wow. So now I'm at the place where- I'm about to change my life. So I'm a stand in on the show and the very last episode of the whole season, there was one little co-star part and they gave it to me. And that was my first speaking role on TV. So I was a stand in the whole year. And what was it? It was a product placement. Cool. It was, it was. Please uh, be Nike. What's the deodorant? The one that's, uh, they talk about the little black dress, like it's a little oh black yeah. dress approved. Uh, I don't
1: remember what, like degree? maybe it's degree. As someone who I doesn't wear degree, t- it?
10: I'm suave cool. or degree, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's degree, but yeah. it was a product placement one, and the whole show was called Love Inc. And they were like they set people up on dates. Okay, so I was a client coming in. And I said something about like, I didn't know what to wear. And then she offers me the deodorant and I'm like, thanks girl. And then I just leave the office. That was my big break. I, My mom and my sister flew out to come and watch me film my two oh. little lines. Yes. cool. It was like the beginning, my first speaking role on TV, live studio audience. Oh my gosh. Damn. And then I, I took this joke writing class simultaneously. and And that was the beginning. And after that show ended, that's when I didn't have a job.
1: Mm -hmm. That's when
10: I'm like, what do I do now? And that's when this YouTube video popped up.
1: We had a conversation with our next guest that I will never forget. She is an activist, writer, and lecturer, founder of the Loveling Group and Proof Speakers, Rachel Cargill.
11: If you follow my work a lot of What I'm doing right now, specifically my lecture of Unpacking White Feminism, is looking at the very racist history of the feminist movement, looking at the racist things that um, Susan B. Anthony said and her whole team of quote-unquote feminist heroes I say often your heroes are not my heroes, wow. and they were. There was very racist roots to the feminist movement from telling black women if they wanted to march with them for suffrage, they needed to do it at the back of the line. Wow! And um, going out and telling when they were campaigning for their own um, voting rights, telling white men that if they let if they let white women vote, that they'll, you know, support white supremacy and not derail from it. And that these were words said out on the campaign trying to get women's rights to vote. And so, um, feminism, the idea of a feminist movement that is working for all women has never existed. It's Mm -hmm. always been a white feminism and maybe other women have gotten the benefits of women being able to do something, but never was there an intention from white women to include all women in their feminist efforts. Um, so there was this grand exclusion, mm. and it shows today still. Wow! And so that's the work that I'm doing is pretty much holding up a weird, uh, mirror to white women, saying, "Look at who you are and what this movement is, and what it's done to black women and other marginalized." I mean, if we could look at it from other ways that things intersect with womanhood, like sexuality, wow. things like that, and so. Basically, my work is just holding, my work right now, it's not like my life's work, but my work right now is holding up a mirror to white women, uh, reminding themselves about the feminist movement, uh, where it was, where we are, and what my expectations as a black woman are moving forward if they want to be able to call themselves feminists. Because right now, as my Harper's Bazaar piece is uh, white feminism, is just white supremacy in heels.
0: Love that. Mm-hmm.
11: And Harper's Bazaar was down. Yeah, they were, that piece did really, really well. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful piece. Yeah, it did really well. And then they brought me on. I think my third, I I should have another one coming out today. That's amazing. Yeah.
1: We're often in wellness spaces um, and we've seen the cracks there as well, where, you know, it's mainly catering to wealthy white women. Mm -hmm. Um, what has been your experience in like the health and wellness
11: space? Yeah. They hate me. <laughs> the people <laughs> in the world wow. and the, hel- the, the health and wellness space. What are their names? Just <laughs> kidding. So many. <laughs> <laughs> Let me grab the mic and go. they I the always ask for names. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's, there's this identity within that movement of Self-identifying as someone who is good, like all of the all of a person's goodness is wrapped up in what they're eating, how they're moving their body, how their body image looks, the words that they're saying to each other, um, the language of the health and wellness space. We all know what words and what terms mm. are used within the health and wellness space. Um, what's lining your cabinets? What food is there? What brands are there? Totally. Um, kind of just the celebrating of each other and how good they are compared to whoever else is in the world and however mm. else anyone else is existing. So when I come in and I say, well, I got to tell you something, you know, the post that gets so much, well, all my posts get so much <laughs> conversation going, but the one that always gets a lot of conversation is where it asks the question, you know, maybe you manifested it. Maybe it's just your white privilege. And it's a, it's a conversation around the fact that wealth in this country is not at all, Evenly dispersed. And there's a ton of socioeconomic issues that this country has from its foundation in slavery and other ways that it's marginalized and oppressed groups in order to make sure. I mean, all the wealth that any white person has in this country was built on the fact that they have come into a country, completely massacred the Native Americans. So all this quote unquote property that they have is on the backs of people of color. And then they bring in black people and Mm -hmm. they're having them completely work to build. Think about all the wealth that black people. Got for this country with their labor, and that's a, so. Then that's so. We go from completely dismissing Native American people and getting "quote unquote" property, and then bringing in Black people to do all of the work for free <laughs> at, at at the expense of our bodies and our families and our mental health and our existence. Mm-hmm. Um, so then there's wealth. And we're moving on and there's, it's manifested in a million ways today. And so that when some, uh, you know, when we're go, when we're looking at the wellness world, people are saying, I've manifested all of this opportunity. Actually, you're a white person in America. So you have a lot more opportunity standard than anyone else does. And even when we look at the also another world that gets this a lot is like the entrepreneurship world where people are out pitching and, you know, raising funds. And a lot of times they say, investors will say well we can't take you on until you have your family and friends round till you get like at least a million from your family and friends round okay well a lot of like <laughs> wow yeah, family so like i i can't go i'm not going to get a million from my family and friends yeah, same. and but white women they go out and they get their million from their family and friends and they're and then they come to the pitch um, event and they 're like, Yes, I did it and i 'm i've manifested and i 've worked really hard for this thing, and i don 't doubt that you worked hard, but it 's because you 've had you have this baseline of opportunity and this baseline of privilege that a lot of people and i 'll talk for black people in particular because that 's what I am um have to work twice as hard for half of what white yeah.
3: people get Wow, hundred
0: percent i think about i guess I think about that. Uh, well, someone posted that in our group and I was really grateful that they did because it really gave me pause to kind of think about my verbiage with that and the way that in which I would use the word manifest and I needed that. And I so I was really appreciative that someone did that. And I even think about just as an example in in, in my life, I guess, with my parents paying for my college. Oh, yeah. Like that mm-hmm. is, if I was working with, you know, $100,000 in college debt right now, like there's no way I would
11: be where i am quote unquote whatever that is my first thought when you said that it wasn't even about your debt it was about how comfortable were you sitting in college 100%. just going to class me yeah. i i mean
2: working i remember working at time. i was I working at up. j
11: crew i remember my phone got cut off a billion times and you know i was sending money back to my mom yeah. trying to help yeah. her in whatever was going Thank and like you. it's 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 not even just the cash that people have to consider it's like the mental like you're able to rest yeah. mm. you're able to sleep you're able to go out and have fun with friends. You're able to laugh. Yeah. I'm sure your parents had health insurance for you. You're able to go get mental health care if you need it. You, you know, you could go to the dentist. You could go to the doctor. There's all of these things that it's so it's so far beyond just the money. Yeah, that's sitting. The money definitely matters, but there's so much that comes with financial security that everyone mm. deserves that security. Mm. There's no reason people should be terrified of things going through life because of like dollars that are in their account or not.
1: And in those formative years, Um, you know,
11: for that to like... Yeah, um, I can't even... I mean, that must have been so great (laughs) to be able to have that comfortability and that space to breathe and really study. So think about all the... But then I didn't study. But think about all of the like Kid, marginalized groups who are out like working their ass off working for school, and studying, and, they, and, studying yeah. and working and worrying about their parents and worrying about what how they're going to get home for Thanksgiving and worrying about all of these things. Um, and then if they don't do as well academically, we're lazy or we're just not smart enough or we're just not trying hard enough, you know? Mm-hmm. And then it's this whole system and that goes into the workforce and that goes into dating and that goes into how we exist in the world. It's all so interconnected.
1: Is there Thank you. and and I I don't know this and I kind of feel bad not knowing this. Like, is there support for people like if I'm thinking about my college experience and people who were working simultaneously were trying to, you know, pay off loans as they were trying to get an education and do their best? Like, is there extra support there? Like where's the where are the holes that like need to be kind of filled in order for them to feel at least a little bit more supported rather. Do you know what I'm saying? Does it not exist? I mean, it looks like money. It looks like scholarships and money, but
11: also... So right now I'm doing my fundraiser for Black women and girls to get therapy. And one thing that people are asking, and it drives me crazy because it's so ingrained in us, women of color. So I made like a little form so I could get everyone's information. Because basically what I'm doing, I'm taking the money that's coming and I'm literally calling the therapist of the person. Like a girl will give me, I say, tell me your name, tell me Mm. your therapist and tell me your therapist phone number. That's the only information I ask from people on this form. And then I'm like calling the therapist and say, hey, I'm calling. I want to put $500 on Jessica's books. Done. Mm. And all of these women, all of these women of color are coming to me saying, they're like, writing me this big long email about like why they deserve it and what they what they did in order to 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 like be able and i'm like girl stop Mm. we have been so taught to lay our trauma Mm -hmm. out to prove right so things like scholarships and things like even welfare like governmental support all the support it's not support it's control it's being able to say and also the like the feeling of okay we've helped we've done something and so it's if it was really support, it would look like what I'm doing to say, like, right. you're a person who we know systematically you need this help and the support to move forward. Um, here, here's the money. Do with it what you know you need for yourself. But instead, there's all of these qualifiers, all of these um, you know, mm. people coming into your house. And if you don't know, if you're not familiar with the welfare system, mm-hmm. they, literally, they will come into your house to make sure that you're living well enough. They, they'll look at your bank account to see what you're... If you get, more than what you said you got, they're going to take it out of and say, you didn't tell us you got that money. We're taxing you for it. Or we're going to take a percentage of it because you never told us. And so it's this like intense control that adds even more stress to what you're already experiencing than necessarily the support that we understand people would need. Holy Moses. Wow.
0: (laughs) It is... I need that I need I need the this is I love doing these episodes too because it's just like a dose and then I'm reminded about you know what what we talked about in them Mm -hmm. and I can go back and I can listen and I can just well every
1: conversation too is so deep Mm -hmm. and dense in the best way but to pull these gems I think is Mm -hmm. really nice for people to
0: completely agree Give them a little taste. So if you maybe have someone in your life that hasn't listened to almost 30 podcasts, this is actually a great place to start. They can get a little taste of um, what we talk about on the podcast and sort of our amazing myriad of guests that we bring on. Yeah. We love you guys. Thank you so much. So much Yeah, for your support this year.
1: Um, it's been a year of intense growth that was beautiful, but also painful at times you know, because we're just growing. I'm sure you all can relate. Like when you're Mm -hmm. an intense growth period, you do feel the pain of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And we, you know, never for one moment wanted to give up and you are part of the why. And so, you know, we're just really excited to expand into 2019 and meet more of you Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, just spread the word.
0: Mm -hmm. Cannot wait. You guys have been such a dream, you know, holding space for Lindsay and I, as we just really dig in and go through this process of creating a conscious business that is from the soul with almost 30 and meeting you guys on tour has been the most fulfilling thing I have ever done. And I'm so grateful that we can be stewards of these conversations and this light and this positivity, and we cannot wait to serve you in a deeper and greater way in 2019.
1: We love you all Sending you a huge hug Huge hug um, Love yourself And Love your people around you. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> This is when we get goofy Yeah Unless you just popped your butt <laughs> I just popped it <laughs> She was just like Goofy <laughs> Alright guys Hope you're being goofy Be, be goofy be today goofy. Find someone you can be goofy with <laughs> And love them hard <laughs> Okay, we love you. We love you. (laughs) Bye-bye.